As the federal public service strike continues, new government records indicate that the feds gave over 800,000 raises to federal workers between 2020 and 2022. Retired conservative MP Dave McKenzie says he's supporting a liberal vying to replace him. The Alberta government will require individuals and organizations to be licensed by the province before they can begin handling firearms as part of Ottawa's confiscation regime. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, April 26th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. As federal workers continue to demand more money, government records obtained by the Canadian Taxpayers Federation revealed that the federal government gave 802,043 raises to workers between 2020 and 2022. The records show that more than 90% of federal government workers totaling over 300,000 employees received at least one raise in 2020 and 2021. Furthermore, in 2020, over 250,000 federal employees received an economic pay increase with an additional 151,247 in 2021 and nearly 30,000 in 2022. Currently, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, which makes up more than 150,000 federal workers, is entering the seventh day of its strike as the union and government attempt to negotiate a fair deal. The union, known as PSAC, is demanding up to 47% in increases in compensation over three years, which would cost taxpayers $9.3 billion, according to the Treasury Board of Canada Secretariat. Since the strike began on April 19th, Canadians have experienced delays to many public services, such as renewing a passport, filing taxes, issuing licenses, certifications, and benefit requests. So Andrew, we've talked about this on the show a couple times. Last week I talked about an accountant I spoke to who said they thought that the CRA was asking for an obscene amount of money and they said that the service with CRA is already quite poor. And they said, you know, they stay at home, they work from home and they're asking for money. It's just ridiculous. So this week I tracked down a PSAC employee. I didn't realize one of my friends who actually works for the federal government falls under the union of PSAC. And she basically said that she's striking because, you know, she supports their right to strike because she won't get paid if she doesn't show up. But also that really they're just asking to keep up with the cost of inflation. Now, here we're seeing that these employees have already been getting raises from 2020 to 2022. I don't think any of their Canadians are really making raises right now. No one's pay is keeping up with the rate of inflation. And one of the arguments is just that everyone should be upset that their pay isn't being kept up with inflation. You shouldn't be mad at PSAC employees for striking. But it just seems like one of those times in the economy where everyone just needs to buckle down and try to save a little bit more. And especially when you work for the civil service, you're being paid from the taxpayer dollar. And so the more money that we are spending as taxpayers, the more money the government is spending, the more likely inflation is to continue to get worse. So I just feel like every other Canadian kind of accepts that things are difficult right now. We're all hoping that inflation and interest rates are going to lower, but PSAC doesn't seem to have that same understanding. What's your thoughts on this? No, they don't. And I, I actually think that's been one of the biggest issues here is that this big request is coming at a time when people in the private sector are still reeling from the last three years. Many businesses just shuttered permanently. People are still scrambling to get Get their taxes done by the deadline that is coming up in just a few days and CRA workers are on strike. So a lot of this is just really, I think, driving home that double standard, that great divide between life in the public sector and life in the private sector. 
One of the crazier developments of this strike is now we're hearing that striking federal public servants could continue to receive their regular salaries in addition to strike pay while on the picket line, which just seems sort of like an abomination. I mean, they're only working four hours a day right now. That's the only amount of time that you have to show up for. And they're not providing any service to taxpayers at the time, but they're still receiving a certain level of strike pay. Now, as I mentioned, I had talked to a friend who said, if I don't show up, I won't get paid at all. So there's really no other option for me. But it just seems like taxpayers are really being given the short end of the stick here. There seems to be a lot of benefits for the public service, but it seems like taxpayers have no autonomy. And worse, you know, we're left to the Trudeau Liberals to bargain out a deal for us. And I don't think many of us have a lot of confidence in that process. No, I, I don't think we do. And, and yeah, that story about uh, possibly continuing to get salary well on the picket line. You know, there's obviously, I was talking to Franco Terrazano from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation about this, a question about whether the government will eventually claw it back. But the whole point is that if you you do not show up for work, you don't get paid. This is a reality everywhere but the government, apparently. Retired Conservative Member of Parliament Dave McKenzie is supporting a Liberal vying to replace him following a controversial Conservative nomination race in which his daughter lost, one candidate was disqualified, and two Electoral District Association executive members resigned. McKenzie, who held the riding from 2004 until he retired earlier this year, said he's backing local realtor and former teacher David Hilderley, who's seeking the Liberal nomination in the Ontario riding of Oxford. McKenzie told the Globe and Mail, quote, the way this thing has gone in my riding from my former party, I just find David an easy switch for me, unquote. The Conservative nomination was won by Arpan Kanna, who was actually once a Brampton North Conservative candidate in 2019 and more recently served as Pierre Polyev's Ontario co-chair. Uh, Kanna beat out Mackenzie's daughter, Deb Tate, and Toronto political strategist Rick Roth. Uh, the Garrett Van Dorland candidacy was one that we reported on at True North. Uh, Garrett Van Dorland, a prominent social conservative, had been disqualified by the party for what they said was failure to disclose certain details in his application process. Uh, Mackenzie, though, thought that the fix was in from the get-go. Polyev, he said, was backing Arpan Kanna, and two of the conservative EDA members who were backing Mackenzie and his daughter, Deb Tate, ended up quitting their posts. A lot of drama here in a riding that is always going to go conservative, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, but do you think this just comes across to most people as sour grapes, or do you think that as the longtime member here, his uh, condemnation of his own party might carry a bit of gravitas. I think because he is a longtime member, his comments are going to carry a bit of weight. Anytime a conservative MP says something, their comments are going to be noted. They're going to be reported on because they do carry a bit of weight because they have so much stature in Canadian society. That being said, because his own daughter was one of the candidates, I think people are going to take this with a grain of salt and say he obviously has a very personal interest in this race. And so that might sort of sway how they feel about things. But I mean, this has been quite the controversial race. A lot of people I'm talking to are saying, you know, Pierre Polyev has burned a lot of political capital in this race. And it's definitely been a messy situation for the party as a whole, as a whole one that I'm sure they would have liked to avoid and one that I feel could have been easily avoided. Do you think this will just be a kind of a flash in the pan that people move on from? Generally, victory does gloss over a lot of internal fights in party leaderships and nomination races. If Arpan Kanna wins the by-election, which has to be held by July 29th, do you think all of this stuff just becomes forgotten? That's an interesting question. I think over time, likely it will be forgotten. It will be forgotten certainly in the more national sense of how things are looked at. 
I think for the people in the riding who feel they've been wronged, I think they'll continue to feel that way. There's already so much distrust with the conservative party, especially from more libertarian minded, more social conservatives. And so I think this is really just another piece of evidence that they can hold up and say, we don't trust the conservative party anymore. We thought it was going to be different under Pierre Polyev uh, after sort of the failings of Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole. And I think they're going to say, we still don't trust them. And for some people, it might cause them to turn away from the party and to vote for another candidate in the next federal election, whether that's an independent candidate or maybe a more libertarian candidate. But by and large, I think most people will turn the page and say it's another unfortunate incident, but at the end of the day, we are more concerned with voting Prime Minister Justin Trudeau out of government. The Alberta government is continuing its push against the Trudeau government's assault on law-abiding gun owners. The province will require individuals and organizations to be licensed by the province before they can begin handling firearms under Ottawa's confiscation regime, saying the federal government's current plan is, quote, reckless, end quote, and will jeopardize the safe handling of weapons. The new regulation marks the province's second action under the Alberta Firearms Act, which quickly passed the legislature last month and is hindering the federal government's efforts to confiscate Albertans' legally acquired property. Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro says the federal government appears to be relying on Public Safety Canada to confiscate the weapons, calling the federal department, quote, a large and inefficient bureaucracy. In May 2020, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced he was banning more than 1,500 models of firearms, including AR-15s, through an order in council. He said owners of these guns would have a two-year amnesty period to come into compliance with the prohibition. The buyback program requires firearms owners to sell their guns to the government or have them rendered inoperable at federal expense. After Federal Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino wrote to the provinces requesting help confiscating weapons deemed illegal under the order in council, Alberta told Ottawa it will not allow its provincial policing resources to be used to fulfill Ottawa's confiscation regime. Andrew, this is one of those stories that really just makes me laugh. I wonder how Ottawa feels getting a taste of its own medicine. Here, essentially, we have the Alberta government just bootstrapping the federal government, trying to make it impossible for them to get anything done simply because they are regulating them to death. It, you just have to laugh. Yeah, and I think that Danielle Smith, when she ran for the leadership of the UCP and, and ultimately the premiership of Alberta, was very clear that Alberta would go right up to the line and do as much as it is within the legal bounds of being able to do to assert its power over Ottawa when it can. And this is one of these areas where you could argue about whether it's the spirit of the law all you want, but Alberta can legally decide how it wants to allocate police resources. And this is a plan that requires requires police resources. So good on them. Absolutely. And I was listening to a Daniel Smith speech recently that wasn't publicized, but essentially she was pointing at this and saying the purpose of this legislation is to make it difficult for Ottawa to proceed with their confiscation regime. Obviously, Alberta has been the loudest voice of all the provinces opposed to this plan to confiscate these weapons, which were illegally acquired firearms. And we know that Canadians already have to jump through so many hoops if they want to own a firearm in this country. So this is now the second thing that we've seen. The province's first act was to require that municipalities and police services actually have to receive written approval from the Justice Minister and the Attorney General of Alberta before entering into funding agreements with the federal government to take part in the confiscation program. So essentially the province's plan here is just to delay all these processes as long as possible so that if the confiscation regime continues to move forward, 
you know, it could take years for the federal government to actually implement it here in Alberta. Yeah, very much so. And I think this is an area where Alberta could, and I, I think if Canada were a serious country, would be a model for other provinces. We know that Saskatchewan has been fairly in lockstep with Alberta on this. New Brunswick has started to as well. There have been whispers from Yukon, but I would love to see other provinces, especially those with conservative governments, say, you know what, we're actually going to use our power as provinces to take a stand against this gun grab by the feds. That's it for today, and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media. You can do that over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.